Great. Okay, we are doing yet another episode of movies, and the the special guest today is the creator of Encyclopedia.Zone, formerly of Dagger Mag, Don Jolly. How are you doing? I am uh, doing excellent. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. You were going to say something. Oh, I I was just going to say, you know, we are going to be a mag again at Encyclopedia.Zone. We do... Encyclopedia.Zone is the internet's premier home for literary shitposting. Um, we put up, you know, updates on our on our website. We got a message board for anybody that uh, wants to join in the fun, and uh, we're going to be putting out a print magazine before the end of the year. That's the that's the hope. So hopefully, Encyclopedia.Mag will be a reality uh, again. So how much did you have to do with the Dagger Mag design and everything that was going on with that? Because I was loosely following it while you were still involved with that. I did all the HTML layouts and I did all the page layouts. I didn't do any of the very spectacular art with the exception of, I, I did a comic that was in the first print issue, but uh, you know, I, I laid everything out in, in design. I mean, I don't know if that, if that's what you're asking. Yeah. Just, just the general aesthetics of it. Cause you take a look at encyclopedia.zone and it's so like early days of the internet mixed with, like a carnival, it's it's great. I I, I really love the kind of uh, texture you've developed. Yeah, that. so so that's actually like basically like we got a certain thing, uh, a certain style of stuff that we do on Encyclopedia Zone, and it's a little similar to the stuff that we did at Dagger. It's just that at Dagger Mag, uh, which was my my previous project, um, we kind of had this very aggressive like 1970s like Conan the Barbarian comic book presentation right Mm. and so you know you publish all this stuff about how like you know society is a cesspool and and there is no actual control over uh, such a large and diffuse civilization as the one that we presently exist in and you put it next to an oil painting of a cop on horseback uh thrashing protesters heads it freaks people out but you put (laughs) that same messaging next to an image of an anime girl going hey and everybody loves it so there you go. And you have a YouTube channel as well, which I adore. You had a great video recently on the, uh, what was it? The early 90s uh, Punisher comics that were. Yeah, I, I was talking about reckless. the, uh, yeah, yeah I, I was talking about the Punisher back to school specials. Uh, that's YouTube.com slash Don Jelly, if anybody is interested. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I tend to talk about just whatever I want. Like we do a lot of. Uh, political coverage like stuff about the the 2020 race but then we also highlight weird old books and and movies and and you know just pulp stuff that that comes across my desk that that i really enjoy and the punisher back to school specials like if you've never seen the punisher go undercover as a lunch lady to shoot kids on lsd you know you're you're really missing out on an important phase of your education in my opinion which uh which c-list celebrity plays the punisher the oh, no, it's a, it's, a, it, it's a comic book. So it's a comic Punisher book. Comic. Oh, oh, I thought I thought it was actually like a video thing. No, no, it's a. a I'm reviewing comic books. I mean, like my YouTube channel is mm. video in the like, you know, like technically it's video, but it's mostly just me reading uh, new writing into a microphone. So the '90s Punisher was Dolph Lundgren. Didn't you suggest him earlier for for actors mm-hmm. to consider? Yeah, he played Dolph. Uh, he played the Punisher in the 1991. Yeah. which tries to like sterilize itself of any kind of comic book references or 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 aesthetic to it. It you know, it's just basically a generic action film starring Dolph Lundgren. Uh, apparently, I guess I just 
I'd say, oh, sorry, I, I get. Um, <laughs> go sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Now, uh, I was going to. Jesus Christ, <laughs> this is terrible. I'm really sorry. Uh, go ahead. Why don't we give this Don Jolly? You, you, you yeah, talk. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I'm sorry. I just have a Dolph Lundgren anecdote. Apparently, when Dolph Lundgren was cast in The Punisher, Sylvester Stallone's, uh, you know, quizzical response was, "They gave him lines." Now that died. Well, anyway, what were you going to say? You got something, you got something better. I'm just, the thing is, like, I'm so ignorant with this subject. Like, I don't really know much about the Punisher. So the reason why I asked uh, who plays them is because since you said um, uh, the, it was like after school special, I thought it was one of those things that they did in the early 90s, uh, late 80s, where they would just take whatever character. What, like Saved by the Bell? It so that it works. Like Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, wow, that sounds interesting who played him not because you know i i had any fucking idea of what you guys were talking about i guess this is why i'm sounding like this now now they, they were actually they were comic books that were released to coincide with the start of the school year so that if you were going back to school and you had a low level of being pissed off you could buy a comic where the punisher would shoot up your school um and they did that for three years in the in the beginning of the 90s where the comic book industry was kind of peaking um so you know very different industry than the one you see today well, on an, a completely unrelated note, we're going to be discussing Japanese cinema for this episode. But before we even get to that, I have a, I, I, you know, I've been drawing parallels in my head between Toho in the 20th century, their places, the premier distributor and, and just movie making company of uh, Japan, and kind of like the the monopoly that that Disney has at the moment. Do you see any parallels to that? Uh, between Toho and Disney? Um, to an extent, yeah. I mean, the, the thing is that the Japanese film industry has always been much smaller than the American one. And Toho is actually like, the thing that makes it really similar to Disney is that it's a very diffuse business. I think in the 1970s, they like they did produce films, but like one of their main things was uh, like they had a chain of grocery stores. They produced all kinds of weird consumer products. Uh, yeah, they that, that tends to be the, the yeah yeah that that tends to be the case with um, Japan and just Asian countries in general. You'll see a lot of these these companies not like create little subsidiaries where maybe they own uh, a smaller business that's specifically niche toward uh, I don't know like uh, uh, bleach or whatever. Um, you'll you'll see like in Japan or or uh, Korea that the the most popular like beer company will also be the most popular popcorn company or or tire company or whatever it might be. So that that, that mm-hmm. makes sense to me. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. Though. Oh, I, that's that's really all I got to say. I mean, Toho is like I said, you know, when you said like we want to talk about Toho Studios, it's like that's a huge topic. Like this is a, a very storied uh, movie studio. They have like a tremendous amount of output. They put out a lot of Kurosawa pictures. Uh, mm-hmm. They put out all the Godzilla movies. They distributed the Hamtaro theatrical shorts. I mean, there's there's yeah. just a lot of territory, you know, with Toho. How well versed would you say that you are on Japanese cinema as a whole? Uh, I, as a whole, I'm not going to claim any special proficiency, but uh, like, so I, I was born in Texas, right? And since I was a little kid, like I've been fascinated with Godzilla movies uh, because they're just this like weird artifact that's like really incongruous with the rest of American culture, uh, especially if you're into like monster movies and, and, you know, science fiction pictures and stuff like that, like the Japanese ones, specifically the Toho science fiction pictures that the Godzilla movies are an example of. I mean, I'm, I'm saying sci-fi 
but that's not even a very clear descriptor. But like the Toho fantasy films that were made, especially in the 50s and 60s, by that team of Ishiro Honda, uh, the composer Akira Ifukube, uh, and they had a little stable of actors that they worked with, and special effects by Eiji Tsuburaya, who's the creator of uh, Ultraman, and also the guy who did the, the special effects for all the Godzilla films, and Matongo, and those sorts of things. Like, I, I think they're a pretty unique uh, thing in the history of world cinema, and like I've, I've just been obsessed with them since I was a kid. So most of my knowledge kind of gets filled in around the Godzilla pictures. But then there's like, you know, everybody's got those those Toho movies, I think, that, you know, you don't think of them specifically as Toho movies, but that like you really enjoy. I, I think a lot of people of the West like have a thing for Kwaidon or uh, Yojimbo or Sanjuro or, uh, you know, my favorite uh, samurai movie personally is uh, uh, Sword of Doom, which I'm probably mm-hmm. going to mispronounce his name, but directed by uh, Kihachi Okamoto uh, and starring Tatsuya Nakadai, who is the... King Lee, King Lear character in Ron. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, I, I watch a lot of Japanese movies, but I would not claim to have any special, you know, knowledge about it compared to, you know, somebody that actually knows what they're talking about. I just like the flicks. Sure. Uh, I, I think I really only got introduced to uh, Japanese filmmaking as a whole somewhat recently. Like I was vaguely familiar with the work of Ozu and I had seen plenty of like Godzilla films. Yeah, so that would, I, I, that was a similar entry point, but uh, it sounds like that that's much more of an area of specialty and interest for you than maybe it, it probably is for me. And I've really just been catching up over the past couple of years, more so with the, I guess, more modern films. Like uh, I, I'm I'm really big right now on checking out uh, Takashi Kitano's mm, early '90s, yeah, late '80s. Yeah, he's he's amazing. I, I I love how he just built a career out of playing the same character every time. Just a cop or a gangster that beats people up, shoots people, looks cool, makes jokes. It's the same movie every single time, but I love it every single time as well. Have you um, seen Kikujiro where he has the kid? No, I haven't. That was uh that was actually gonna be next up in the order oh. for me. Oh, right on. Well, I, I look forward to hearing what you have to say about it. I, I like Kikujiro quite a bit. I would like to do a retrospective at some point on on his filmography, uh, just because he's such an interesting character in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the trajectory of his career from comedian, entertainer, performer into essentially being like a Robert De Niro tough guy in the movie business, it's just very interesting to me. Hans, what about you? Are you would you say you're particularly well-informed about anything regarding Japanese films? Uh, the only Japanese films that I'm kind of familiar with are the, um, you know, the, and I might be mispronouncing this, Noboro Iguchi. You got that those, those gross out, uh, zombie movies. He did Machine Girl. He Mm. did, uh, he did Zombie Sushi, I think it was called. I've seen gifts Uh, from that movie that look over the top. Yeah, it's just gross out, just gore, just loud, violent, uh, nonsense. And I, I enjoy what I've seen from him. Which has seen has been that. Uh, then he did. Uh, I don't know if you remember in the ABCs of Death. He had a short where uh, this Japanese girl and her farts and people going into her farts, and then it ends with someone going into her colon and they die. <laughs> That's the director. <laughs> That's the director I'm talking about. That's fucking awesome. I gotta I gotta see these fucking movies, man. Yeah. Oh, it's called Zombie Ass. Uh, the <laughs> of the oh, oh. Zombie uh, Ass. And, and then there's uh, Mutant Girl Squad, uh, Robo Geisha, and uh, Machine Girl. I would uh, 
recommend any of those uh, to anyone that just likes, you know, ridiculous, violent, and just visually striking uh, movies. We're going to be talking a little bit about the movie that you cited as your favorite, I believe you said, uh, Sword of Doom. ゲームを取って戦う時は親も子も兄弟もない早速に果たし城の早火客をやれ芝居いくらの机の長屋やな指定勝負の期日は明日は芝増上寺大門右手の松林時は人通りを避けて夜明けの Sword of Doom uh, is my favorite samurai picture. That's that's correct. It is certainly visually striking. I, I I really enjoyed the cinematography of this film. But Hans, I remember we were. You, I mean, you were watching the movie, and you had some some gripes. You had some complaints that it was just people staring at the camera and making noises. <laughs> what what do you? What, I think I just. I think I just have an issue with the way that uh, filmmaking was back in those days because I feel, or, and it, it's probably because I'm just used to being saturated with multiple things on my screen where it's very difficult for me to just sit and focus on what it is, just two people having a conversation, the camera just cuts back and forth. I mean, there was a lot of really nice cinematography in this, but the dialogue bits just kind of felt like they stretched out a lot for me. And I feel that it's probably because of, you know, the way that filmmaking was done back in the day where it was a little bit more relaxed and it didn't have to be as loud or as busy. So I did have an issue getting through those scenes just because my attention span is not, you know, anywhere uh, close enough to be, to be able to just sit down for two hours and, and, and pay attention a hundred percent to that. But I, I did like the fact that they went with a story where our quote-unquote hero is just violent maniac that mm -hmm. just ends up going crazy and killing and not really having much of a, of a moral compass and not really showing much emotion besides just being serious and, and kind of crazy. Uh, and the fact that they went uh, with a concept like this at, at such an early time of cinema, I, I really liked See, yeah, the, the, they didn't have to, you know, close it with a bow. Sword of Doom is actually a partial adaptation of you. You want to talk about like being bored for two hours? The novel that this is based on is three thousand pages long, um, and it's only been it's only been partially translated into English. I I had to go. You could get the PDF online now. Somebody up in the Pacific Northwest uploaded it. Some college professor, but I had to go when I when I first saw this movie. I was obsessed with it and I had to go to the special collections department of the Asian studies, you know, wing of Columbia university. And I had to go in cause I wasn't a student there like every day for a week to read whatever portion of this had been translated into English. The book is called Daibusotsu Toge or the great Bodhisattva pass, the great Buddha pass. And it's essentially like the, the writer considered himself 
a uh, like sort of a follow up to Dostoevsky. And that's the thing that I find so interesting about Sword of Doom and that that really compels me about the story. It's actually been adapted into a couple of other series of films. There was one in the yeah. 50s. There was one in the early 60s. Um, it's essentially like a crime and punishment style novel of moral investigation, but it's about samurais who externalize their morality through their sword fighting. So the sword fighting is a visualization of the the internal morality of the characters, which you see in Sword of Doom, where you have Shimada, the, the character uh, played by Toshiro Mifune, talking about how a man's soul is his sword, and if you have an evil so- evil soul, you have an evil sword. And, you know, this the sword fighting sequences in Sword of Doom are much more interesting to me than in your standard, you know, samurai film. Uh, even, like, really good samurai films, like Yojimbo, know, Sanjuro, stuff like that, uh, Seven Samurai, uh, because in Sword of Doom, there's a lot of focus on once again, not just the the like the sword forms that they use. I mean, the big thing about the main character of Sword of Doom, Reno Suke, I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing that, but uh, I just call the main guy Sword of Doom, uh, the guy played by Tatsuya Nakadai. <laughs> but uh, the big thing about him is that he has this sword form where he just drops his blade and leaves himself completely open and his face goes blank so that you can't predict what he's going to do. And then if you make any kind of move, he instantly kills you. But it's impossible to deal with his sword form because he's basically breaking all the rules of honorable engagement. Right. And that's kind of the, the you know, that's his moral status in the in the film as well, uh, in the story, I mean. Have you seen any of the adaptations uh, of that book? Because I know you had mentioned that they've done like trilogies of uh, uh, of that uh, source material adapted to film. There, this was supposed to be a trilogy as well, but mm-hmm. uh, the second one never got off the ground for whatever reason. I, w- I was watching some like featurette on YouTube where uh, whoever was set to helm that one said, oh, no, 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 based off of the ending, this, the second would be too violent. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I, you know, just a little fun tidbit about this movie is that they use real swords, actually sharp, dangerous swords for, I, I think, most, if not all of the scenes in this movie. Whoa, I did not know that. That's fucking yeah. crazy. And they would they would um, chastise and or, or and, and and go after anybody who, who like uh, the stuntmen or the actors they were usually one and the same during that time who refused to partake in a scene because it might be too dangerous. Damn, yeah, it's it's I mean visually it's an incredibly striking movie and the thing that that really gets me about it is it's got like I I haven't seen the other trilogies. Um, I know I could probably download them online. I guess I'd I'd like to try and get a. a blu-ray or something of them but they're not officially released in the west um i think satan's sword is the color trilogy um but to me like that cast in sort of doom like i i feel like no matter who they get to play the main character it's going to be a downgrade from tatsuya nakadai and having shimada be toshiro mifune i mean it's just the best friggin' casting and it's it's such a shame to me that they never made the sequel so that you can actually see the confrontation between uh, Nakadai and Mifune. Um, Cause I think that that would have been a, a really amazing thing. So, yeah, I, I haven't seen them sadly, but I have read, you know, whatever portion of the book was translated into English as of 1940. You know, I just want to go back to Hans. You had said that this was a difficult viewing maybe because it was too similar to other films of the time where it had a, a slower pace or, or what have you. But I found this movie to be, at least visually, much more, I don't want to say creative for the time. I would say it's a little more visually striking than your average 
1960s film and how this particular type of Japanese film would probably be handled uh, in terms of the cinematography, the extreme close-ups and that the, the dragging, the lingering between lines of dialogue, which, uh, you know, Refn has probably taken from that with, with each of his <laughs> films. Or if you watch this and you watch something like, I don't know, a very different film, something like Good Morning, um, I, I don't really know if there's much of comparison. It's definitely, it's like infinitely more cinematic. I, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. But I understand why maybe you would have a hard time sticking with it right off the bat. I had to watch it like one and a half times in order to absorb everything I could from the movie just because I have so many plates spinning over here. But I'm glad that I got through it. And I found it very, just just a great movie and especially like a great third act as well with that mm-hmm. final confrontation yeah. where we're talking about, uh, you know, he's imagining the fights and then all of a sudden you have these soldiers, the, the, the samurai come in and it's just a completely violent battle. And for it to end where it ends, for some reason, it's just so satisfying where it's not a complete confrontation. I don't know why that is, but goes, I, it's very different. He, he goes full John Wick in the last 10 minutes and he just keeps going on and on and on. And, and it's so messy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's it, you know, it's a... It feels more realistic, I guess, less choreographed than uh, many other battles you might see on film. And that's terrifying now that you said that about the the sword, because this guy's just come out of nowhere. I can't imagine that there had been much blocking uh, for that scene, or maybe they they probably did a lot just for that same reason that the they had real swords, but... Uh, they just come out of nowhere in that last scene, right right before the movie ends. Uh, so it's it's crazy to me even thinking about how to shoot that scene and knowing that there's just going to be samurais coming out of nowhere and using real weapons. Yeah, I mean, I think it was probably pretty intensely choreographed. Like, I, I think that the the fights in this movie are like, you know, to my mind, they're they're really excellently paced. Like, they have a, a really good sense of movement to them. And I think the thing about the photography, the the cinematography that really works for me about it is it's got those heavy noir blacks, you know, it's, it's a very well realized aesthetic that kind of carries through the, through the whole film, you know? And, uh, you know, I personally, I love the dialogue scenes even more than the sword fights, especially when, uh, Tatsuya Nakadai's wife is, uh, confronting him and he says that he's going to kill the brother of the student that he killed at the beginning of the film. And she says, yes, you're good at that kill everyone, kill everyone in the world, which is, you know, that's what you want to hear uh, from your wife. You want to be, you want to be in a supportive environment, supporting, supportive, giving marriage. I mean, basically what I'm saying is I appreciate Sword of Doom because I find the main character to be an excellent role model who is, uh, you know, a a good servant to uh, his family uh, and who, you know, he doesn't actually prevent his wife from chopping his baby's head off, but he, he definitely, uh, storms out of the house to go get drunk when it when it occurs so you know he's a good guy i look up to him really he's like uh he's, he's like a real john wayne figure you know yeah. for the for the japanese are you familiar with the director's other films at all and that might be um, a loaded question because I, mean, I feel by, like every by, japanese filmmaker has maybe a hundred movies under their belt <laughs> yeah by by reputation but sadly i you know i i don't watch a ton of movies uh in general uh and i i haven't uh, seen any of uh okamoto's uh other films yet but they are on my list so hans do you have any yeah. 
other thoughts about this. Yeah, movie. let's talk about House. The fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that movie, I actually, you know, that movie I've actually seen multiple times, so I know what I'm talking about. In this one, I'm just sitting here like, yeah, the samurais were cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, House is an amazing fucking movie. I mean, and if I you like House. if you like wild, visually inventive violence, I mean that's that's kinda you know, that's the deal with House, right? Is there anything like this movie? Like House? Any other movie uh, like yes. With this type of editing, this type of, you know, the music uh, that kind of guides the story along. Uh, I laugh really, I, I rewatched it today and I laugh really hard. Uh, the scene where the girls are going away and the guys that are high fiving them are actually singing the song that's playing in the background. Yeah. And it's just like a seamless, just uh, the, the song is playing and then all of a sudden they're singing it out of nowhere. And I just, I don't know, that just cracked me up. So, I mean, there's really nothing exactly like House or a filmmaker that is, I, I would say, comparable to Obayashi. But he did make a film in the mid to late 80s that is not as beloved or as recognized as House. That operates in a very similar fashion. It's based off of, I think, an anime or a manga. It's called The Drifting Classroom. And it is, I, I think it might be a joint production between Japan and the United States. Half the cast speaks in English. They've got some like 1950s uh, well-known actor whose name is probably, uh, you know, it's, it, it's escaped my memory at the moment. And uh, many American students. And it's about this classroom of kids who they wind up getting transported into like an alternate dimension where there's sand dunes and it feels very i don't i, I don't know it, but it's the closest thing i can say to any kind of companion uh to house and they operate with the the blue screen and you know it's it's just as like poorly done like you see little particles around people's heads and stuff <laughs> still which is great it's uh, got its own charm to it and I don't know. His his filmography as a whole is so bizarre. Every single one of his movies is visually inventive. And for the time, I think House was definitely the first movie to employ such tactics. Uh, the thing about House that I find kind of funny is Toho wanted their version of Jaws. Jaws was a massive success in the United States. So they were like, all right, we're going to bring in this commercial director. He's got He's got this idea for a haunted house movie. Okay, this is going to be our Jaws. <laughs> and he delivered, he delivered house, and they had a panic attack. They went into a meltdown, 
And they considered pulling the movie or reshooting the movie, but there was already so much money that was put into that and, you know, the advertising budget that they just went with it. But it wound up being a hit. Better than Jaws. Better than Jaws. Better than Jaws, for sure. (laughs) Better than Jaws. I've seen it more times, so if you ask me. Yeah, Jaws is three and a half hours. It's a boat. There's waves. I mean, what what do we need to know about Jaws? House. I can watch that eight times in a day. Yeah. Yeah, there's no women in Jaws, is there? There's women. Um, there's the a the, the, the first one. Yeah, the girl who gets Gross. eaten. Yeah, I think Roy Schneider yeah. has a has a wife. I don't know. Honestly, I it's been years since I've seen Jaws, and I could kind of give a shit. Um, yeah, fuck Jaws. Yeah, fuck Jaws. <laughs> Watch House. House is better than Jaws. Is the piano? The piano eats people, right? Piano yeah, scarier yeah. than sharks. You know for sure. Roy Schneider's wife comes back for Jaws: The Revenge with Michael Caine. Because the shark somehow... Oh my god, I, I haven't seen that. Is that a good movie? I, I, I mean, I, it's probably been about 15 years since I've seen it, but I can very safely say no. It's, it, it's certainly not. There is actually a fifth Jaws movie that nobody knows about. It's Italian. It's unofficial, but they called it Jaws 5, so it's in Oh there. boy, I bet the, the Italian Jaws has got to be great. That's, it's, that's one thing that I think is like, you know, the pinnacle of world cinema. It's Italian exploitation <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, that's that's not fair because there's a lot of great Italian exploitation movies, but like Italian ripoffs of other movies tend to like Italian Mad Max ripoffs tend to be like the worst shit in the fucking world uh, in my. Oh, opinion. I haven't seen any of those. I, I, do you have any recommendations as far as uh, oh, the Mad my, Max ripoffs? Uh, no, because like Italian Mad Max ripoffs are, are awful. Um, I mean, like Project Metal Storm. uh the new gladiators. I mean, escape from the Bronx is pretty cool. I mean like that. I don't know. Like in general, my problem with Italian Mad Max ripoffs is that it's just people fucking around in the, in the desert. Um, the lighting is usually really bad. They do that weird overdubbing thing that Italian movies do so that they don't have to shoot sound on location. The um, stupidest thing in the world. I, I oh couldn't watch God. any Italian films at all up until maybe about, 10 years ago, just because th- that rendered it completely inaccessible to me. And only recently because of like Giallo films, getting into that and watching Suspiria, I was able to like build up a tolerance to that. Uh, it's, it's especially bad in like, um, have you ever seen Andy Warhol's Dracula? No, I, I haven't. I've heard, you know, I've, I've read about it, but I have not seen it personally. Oh, it's, it, you know what? That, that's actually probably one of the most charming versions of that where they filmed the whole movie in Italy but it was like an English production they had Udo Kier as Dracula and the whole gimmick of that movie is he has to drink virgin blood but they have these Italian actors who are dubbed by like people from New York and one of the guys has like a very thick Brooklyn accent even though it's supposed to be like Transylvania hell yeah um and uh, this guy just keeps raping all the women. So Dracula then goes and drinks their blood, thinking he's getting nice, pure virgin blood. And uh, <laughs> that ain't going to do it. So he just winds up vomiting in a tub. He's vomiting blood in the tub for like a, a good third of the movie, just suffering. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I got to see that now. I, you, you, um, really, you got to watch the trailer. It's, very, it's a very charming, great, uh, funny movie. But um, any, anyhow, we're talking about... Uh, Italians, we're talking about Jaws, we're talking about House. Yeah, so I'm going to take advantage of the of the Jaws thing here to say, you sure. know, because eventually I was hoping we could talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the Godzilla films. Godzilla, king of the monsters, whose death ray blasts the city 
Earth before your very eyes. Godzilla alive! Stalking across the world, crushing all before him. Is Godzilla fantasy or a prophecy of doom? For the answer, see Godzilla, King of the Monsters. A tale of horror more fantastic than any ever written by Jules Verne. More terrifying than any ever shown on the screen. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Incredible Titan of Terror. A story to stand the mind as a gargantuan creature of the sea surges up on a tidal wave of destruction to wreak vengeance on the Earth. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Fantastic beyond comprehension. Dripping beyond compare. Astounding beyond belief. The mightiest monster. Gotta say, you know, Jaws and that whole like era of American monster movies that that followed it. I mean, just in general, American monster movies are are not to my taste. I, I think that they have a uh, they have a weird approach, or they have an approach to the special effects and to the monster itself that I that I don't uh, vibe with as much as I do the the Japanese ones. And actually, in terms of like movies that are a little bit like House, I would recommend. Uh, 1971's Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, uh, which was by Yoshimitsu Bano. And it was the situation where kind of the old guard of the Godzilla films had had retired or died, and uh, or retired from making the, the pictures, and Tsuburaya was dead. But uh, they gave the series to this like young young gun experimental filmmaker who like he puts like animated sequences in the film there's a part where a guy takes lsd and everybody gets fish heads um it's like ridiculously violent but then also explicitly for kids there's a bunch of hippies that get fucking annihilated it's like it's a strange psychedelic freak out movie and uh you were talking about how toho was freaking out after after house was filmed uh, the producer of the Godzilla films, Tomoyuki Tanaka, after he saw Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, told the director, you have ruined Godzilla and didn't allow him to fucking touch the series again. And then actually he ended up like years later after Tanaka died, he ended up with some portion of the rights, which is why they're making these American Godzilla movies now, because he sold his portion of the Godzilla rights to legendary pictures. So I would Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster is the house of Godzilla movies, however you want to take that. Not to fully transition into Godzilla just yet, because I feel like there's a lot more to say about House. But I do want to ask you, have you seen the American Godzilla films? And if so, what is your opinion on them? The American Godzilla films? Yes. Uh, Like the (laughs) I saw the 1998 one with Matthew Broderick. The best one is what you meant to say. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I don't know. The, the, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's the reaction that you should have to that movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, look, like the thing is like, to me, that movie looks tame and inoffensive next to the legendary pictures, Godzilla movies that they're making now. I haven't seen the most recent one. I tried to watch it and like, okay, here's the thing. Like these movies are like a lot of big Hollywood blockbusters. And I mean, these are like lower grade blockbusters, but they're still blockbusters. Uh, they're made with the co- like in cooperation with the United States Department of Defense, who gives them, you know, they, like they get to use American military hardware and imagery uh, in exchange for, for tax breaks. Like they have some kind of arrangement. It's a very common thing in the United States. And I mm-hmm. think it is like it is disgusting that they're taking the character of Godzilla and using it in what are basically like American military propaganda films. It's, it's antithetical to the whole point of the series. And I think ultimately disrespectful to the generation of, of Japanese that, that created the pictures and that actually, you know, w- was using them 
like to comment on not just uh, Japan's experience in the Second World War uh, with America, but also the occupation of, of Japan that followed and the sort of like difficult process of westernization that, that uh, followed off of that. Like, you know, th these are films that have a lot of social commentary and watching them prostituted into the, the, the legendary pictures, you know, Godzilla, whatever they're doing. Like I, I, I find the 1998 movie, ugh, but I find the, the ones that they're making now to be like, as far as a big blockbuster movie could be like a, a work of spiritual evil. Ooh. So that's what I think about those. Yeah. Now you're talking my language. I can totally relate to that. Yeah. It does completely negate the whole purpose of that original film. I watched the first Godzilla movie again last night the uh the real original not the raymond burr oh. american yeah, yeah. remake garrett um, oh right oh no no not the garrett edwards i'm talking about the 1950s uh japanese guys right, right, right. yes um but i completely agree with your your assessment there as far as uh, these newer films go and also just um speaking in terms of taste they're very bland in general there's nothing particularly interesting about any of them. They don't really do uh, anything that deviates from what you might expect from a massive uh, like conglomerate blockbuster. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't really have too much to say about either one of them. And, and I've seen both of them. I thought the, the King Kong movie was actually far worse than both of those but you thought it was what far, far better or worse I far worse think. far worse yeah was... yeah no that that king kong movie i mean like i was saying about how i don't like american monster movies like i don't like jaws you know that's that's like not up to my that 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 doesn't vibe with what i like uh mm -hmm. imagine how much i hate these stupid cgi monsters i mean i feel the same way about pacific rim i'm like you know okay so you know you're talking yep. about how they use real swords in sword of doom right like the godzilla movies they build a miniature city and blow it up and you get to watch guys in 250 pound foam latex suits acting while live explosives detonate around them and i mean those suit actors like they got fucked up man like it's this just like crazy you know like cinematic uh performance that they do and a big part of it to me is like it's real miniatures it's real explosions it's like a whole bunch of moving parts in this like giant you know otherworldly diorama and it's like you see this king kong movie and it's like oh great you you know you've got a copy of true space 3d and you made a monkey in it like what i don't give a fuck like you know the the it, it's such a shame because it's like you know king kong is the Ur special effects movie, right? You guys like King Kong? I, I love the original King Kong. Yeah. Um, and it's like that, that there's so much character and there's so much like wild inventiveness in those Willis O'Brien effects, mm -hmm. right? And it's like you watch Kong Skull Island and you can clearly tell that they're like, like this, the thing that I really hated about that movie, I, I saw only saw it once, but the thing I really hated about it is you could tell that the people that are making it have this kind of arch attitude where they're like, oh, it's just a, you know, it's a goofy fucking monster movie. Like, we're going to be balls mm -hmm. to the wall, man. Like, whoa, John C. Riley showed up and he's kooky. You didn't like Steve Brule? You didn't like Steve, yeah, Steve Brule versus King Kong? Yeah, Steve Brule versus King Kong. <laughs> and like, and you, you could tell that they're just like winking about how like shitty they think the material is. And I'm like, well, if you think the movie that you're making is shitty, like, are you just telling me that I'm a fucking asshole for paying you a dollar ninety nine to rent it off Amazon? Like, 
You, you think I'm a fucking idiot? Like, I want to watch something that you don't care about? What the hell? I, I'm the idiot. I spent $70 to take my girlfriend to go see that in IMAX. And, and let me tell you, I was very unhappy afterward. Oh, man. What did she think, yeah. though? Did she enjoy it? Is it a good yeah, date movie? She's, yeah, no. It's, I mean, she's, she's less of a critic than I am. So uh, it, it sufficed. I'll say that. But I okay, really yeah, despise... Yeah. I despise that director, Jordan Vogue Roberts, and everything he did where it's literally, he doesn't do anything creative with that movie. It's just uh, tons of references. Like he didn't do, he didn't have John C. Riley even do anything that would deviate from that character that he played on Adult Swim for six or seven years. And it's like, oh, we got the Akira jacket. Oh, that's cute. You know? Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just like, I, I fucking despise this like new generation of Hollywood blockbusters where it's like a bunch of stuff that you recognize for movies that are already successful or comic books or whatever it is that they're, that they're eating the corpse of. And then big, loud digital effects. And it's, it's just nothing. It's like an, and, and advertisements for successive films. And it's like, they're, ugh. they're, they're trailer movies. So their movies are made so that the trailer is nice and people get fooled into going because they don't really show you much about what the actual story is. I remember being excited about the Gareth Edwards movie because I, I was curious as to what they were going to do or what story they were going to follow. And then it ended up being a story about a soldier that was played by one of the worst fucking actors. One of the most boring actors they could have picked to lead that movie. You kill off Brian Cranston in the first 18 to 20 minutes. Why? Because he's too old? Because he's in his 50s? That's not compelling? Why? So you bring in Aaron Taylor Johnson, who has zero charisma? And and then, whenever you have a a good, cool fighting scene, you pan down to the soldier because we need to see him running out and going to his wife and it's just like i don't i don't understand what kind of movie you're trying to sell me but it sucks and yeah. uh and i didn't really think about that whole army thing before because i just i just fucking hated the movie and i was just rather not think about it but now that you say that it's completely the opposite of what what the movies are supposed to be for and this ones now are just you know rah 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 the army uh let's fight this monster and somehow we're the hero yeah i mean the 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 japanese defense force is a big part of the the godzilla thing but one of the most important things about godzilla the formula to me is that you get to see all these big 20th century military weapons get fucking destroyed the army does not work like that's the, that's kind of the point. Right. And it's like, I was watching, like, I watched the first 10 minutes of the sequel that they made to that Gareth Edwards movie. I did, did Gareth Edwards direct the second one? Do you know? Uh, no, the other one was directed by, I actually had it over here. Hold on. Uh, it's directed by, uh, Michael Doherty. Yeah. I don't know him. But uh, he, did, he, he did uh Krampus. He did. Oh, he did Krampus. I I actually kind of like Krampus. Yeah. I I didn't think it was terrible. Krampus was pretty good. Yeah, Krampus and was pretty he, good. He did Trick or Treat apparently, or at least one. <clears throat> yeah, Trick or Treat. Oh wow. Okay. Well, I I am positively disposed towards him, but fuck him forever for making that second Godzilla movie because I I watched the first fifteen minutes and I got to some fucking scene where Rodan is flying over a city. And it cuts to heroic U.S. soldiers jumping into harm's way to rescue people. And I'm like, he just fucking destroyed the whole city. He flew over it. Everything is rubble. But you're going to cut to like, don't worry, ma'am. The U.S. Army is here to protect you. Fuck you. Fuck those people. Yeah. 
it's just again i don't i don't understand what kind of movie they're trying to sell this so is it uh you know supporting the army type of movie but then why is this monster necessary is it, are we going to do anything with the monsters besides you know they're a threat that we must eliminate but we don't know how and the whole movie is about trying to figure out how to eliminate this monster but then there's no compelling characters there's nothing that you can nothing you can follow story-wise that keeps you engaged it's just loud it's just it, it it kind of felt like a Transformers movie. Yeah, it's or, or like it's a Marvel. Or... Hey, here's some here's some things that you might recognize, and it's just going to be loud, and it's just going to be you know visually with things happening all over the screen. But there's no story, and there's not really anything that you can connect with or that you can care about. Even the fucking fight with the monster. And I'm just talking about the Gareth Edwards because I, I still haven't seen uh, the second one, but. Even the Godzilla fight wasn't great. And with the things you can do now with CGI, especially if that's what they're going to use, it was kind of like, okay, if we're going to make this movie about this uh, unstoppable monster, then make him unstoppable. I don't want to know about this soldier and what his plight is and, you know, how he's going to end up being the, the hero. So is it, you know, a, a rah-rah-rah army movie or are we watching a monster movie or what is it? I don't understand. Well, you, you're, supposed to, you're supposed to look at Rodan as uh, like a metaphor for Al-Qaeda. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's pretty clearly Rodan is, is Al-Qaeda in that movie. Like I, I thought they had some real trenchant social commentary. Like, but we all know what they're doing. They're just doing the Marvel movie thing. I mean, you say it reminds yes. me of Transformers, but like. To me, it's like they're all Marvel movies. It's like they're Marvel movies that are about monsters, like supposedly. But like, you know, they're even in the the first one. Like they got poor Ken Watanabe uh, in that in that first uh, movie, and he, they got him saying, oh, like, "He's in oh, the second let them, too. Let them fight." He's in the second one too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was the only one to come back. As if there's some like big moral thing to like watching a monster fight because that's what people who've never watched a Godzilla movie like remember about Godzilla movies. I mean, it's, it's this thing where it's just like, they figured out, like they have something with name recognition and they take like the most superficial elements of it and just throw it into a big loud spectacle picture because they're trying to like hit that billion dollar mark and create this continuity of further mediocrity that will go on into perpetuity. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, I'm really just tired of it. You know, like I can't even get up the, the fucking hackles to like, go see these things for free anymore. Like, I, I just don't give a shit. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather like do dishes than watch <laughs> the rise of Skywalker or something. Yeah. I mean, I think just, we're, I think we're hitting that saturation point where people really are, where that, that feeling you just described is not an isolated one. I think for the most part that has just been building in many traditional moviegoers and the only people who are going to see movies nowadays are probably families, you know, parents who have to drag their their 15-year-olds or, uh, you know, 39-year-old men who have, like, the mentality of a 14-year-old boy and still collect action figures. But also, uh, uh, I mean, uh, a lot of it has to do with saturation, I'm sure, but also the things that they're trying to sell us as new and cool or the things that they're trying to revive instead of coming up with new properties they could do something with – 
uh, by just playing off the nostalgia. And I mean, I hope that people are getting sick of that shit because uh, I mean, is there people that are really excited about this Bill and Ted movie? But that movie is gonna be shit. I don't know if anyone is actually expecting that movie to be good because that's a weird one to go good. after. There's so many I'm, terrible I'm movies. You're gonna go after <laughs> Bill and Ted? I just, a... I just that one just popped in my head as like the 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 latest. You know, it's going to be great just because the people that were in it uh, originally are attached to it. But it's again one of those movies that are point of their time like it works in the 90s because of who the characters are and what they do and bringing it now is just going to be a hey remember this from that other movie or remember this other thing what are they going to do with carlin are they going to get what james corden to do it oh no 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 (laughs) no 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 that's the thing like it's just movies that should not be revived there's nothing that you can add to that or look at what they did with Black Christmas. It's just a name recognition thing. They don't really follow anything that was done before or continuing the story because most of those movies are not really worth continuing the story. Otherwise, you wouldn't wait 20, 30 years to do that. Uh, and it's a lot of that and a lot of just the same movie over and over again with the same arcs and the same characters doing the same bland thing that just... I don't know. I uh, th- This whole uh, Harley Quinn thing too where uh it's all about you know it's successful if it made money or not but at the end of the day is the movie good or not like i I don't think people are focusing on that it is more about you know if you said it's not successful then you hate women and if you say it is then you don't and it's just what are we are we focusing on the what now you know and and it's such a uh i feel like now i'm just babbling and none of you are jumping you are yes no no i i thought i thought you were on a i thought you were on a fucking roll i don't know like i i i completely agree with you i mean i i think that one of the things that's really interesting about where movies are right now because i think this is a byproduct of of the scale of the civilization that we're experiencing right it's like the reason that movies are like this is because they have figured out a formula to make a film that can play in every country on earth that is equally acceptable to all markets or at least successful in all markets so that you could make a fucking billion dollars if you invest in in making this big uh, spectacle special effects style of movie you know the marvel films are really the the thing that cracked the nut finally but you know you could track it all the way back to jaws if you wanted to um you know it's it's a formula that produces films that are broadly acceptable to like a large portion of the population of earth and if you're a person who like really enjoys watching movies, like who's really into good cinematography, good story, interesting special effects, they are not going to serve you at all. But they are going it, – it's like uh, – this is something – people make the argument that the internet is making people stupider, right? And they say like, well, look at this like uh, cat gif. Like how dumb is that? And it's like, well, it's not that people are stupider. It's that this kind of meme, like these kind of really stupid memes – are the things that are capable of appealing to like millions of people at once, right? You can have mm. smarter content, but it's going to appeal to smaller and smaller groups of people, right? Like it becomes more and more niche. Um, and they've figured out a way to make content that is appealing to like a really unprecedented number of people. It's just that it doesn't actually like, it's not great to any of them. It's just acceptable to all of them. And that's, you know, where we're at. But it's also movies that are not going to be remembered five, ten years from now. 
You know, it, we're talking about Jaws that came out, what, in the 70s? Yeah, yeah. And that was 50 years ago. And what movie that, even that has won an Oscar in the past couple of years, you think we will remember in 10 years? Green Book? Think people are going to be talking about Green Book or 12 Years a Slave or, or Moonlight? That people Why are you mentioning all the black movies, now? Hans? What's up with that? What if... The what? <laughs> you, you just cited three of the black movies that came out yeah. this decade. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> Of all the movies you could have mentioned that were really boring. I don't watch this thing. So, like, those are the ones that stick in my head. But I can't because I'm racist. But I can't remember the others. (laughs) Now, you know, I I don't know. Like, maybe there's some movies right now that are going to be remembered in 10 years. But look, from the studio's perspective, they don't want a movie to stick around for 10 years because they want to be able to remake it in five. Mm -hmm. Like. They, they want these films to like come out, make a billion dollars, keep the marketing machine going. And this is what I, this is what I don't like about Joker, by the way, because it's like, I will acknowledge that Joker is like, it's a better movie than most of these other superhero films, but as good a movie as it is, you know, and as much as, you know, it apparently has like a social commentary message that has really resonated with people. Cause I saw those uh, yellow vest protesters in France uh, light themselves on fire while wearing Joker makeup. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, that's that's a real thing. Like Google that. But uh, as much as that is like genuinely connecting with people, even that film is part of a giant marketing engine that mm-hmm. is going to keep this fucking clown man character on backpacks and lunchboxes and you know in in fucking out in front of people so that they can keep the merchandising engine engine going and that's the thing that i really like as much as you're saying i think that people are getting sick of this like i don't know if the studios are getting sick of it because even like rise of skywalker was like a, a flop quote unquote that movie made you know it crossed a billion dollars made a ton of money like right i could the- i could see a world where like every movie that comes out is some derivative of two or three big franchises so they're all just fucking connected i mean it's not every movie no that could absolutely be the case yeah and i was going to say i sustaining machine i thoroughly enjoyed joker i had it as uh the top film of last year which i don't know what that says about the the state of cinema but as of recent i've been i've been reflecting on whether or not its impact is going to be a good one or a bad one for exactly the reason that you're stating now, which is that we're going to get more maybe uh, mid-budget dramas that are great movies, but they're going to be integrated with whatever comic book properties or pre-existing franchise characters uh, are, are already, you know, have been popularized into the culture. So it could be something that is ultimately detrimental. Um, all of this to say... Uh, you guys won't be seeing King Kong versus Godzilla when it comes out this year. Is it is it actually coming out this year? Oh yeah, and it's it, you know one of the one of the biggest um, one of the biggest issues I have with these movies is, is that they take interesting filmmakers, especially while they're still like young and they're doing indie flicks and they're being you know very interesting artists. They pluck them and then they sterilize them with these movies. They get trapped into like the whole studio system. And it seems like they never make an interesting movie again. And the filmmaker that is helming Kong vs. Godzilla, or whatever they're going to wind up calling it, is Adam Wingard, who's, I mean, Hans, you're a fan of his, right? You liked your next. Yeah. And he, I, th- I thought the guest was pretty good before. Oh, um, yeah. I saw the guest. That's beaten over the movie. head with. Yeah. But I, I, I haven't watched that recently. I have a feeling I would have maybe 
more of a distaste for it just because we've been so inundated with 1980s pop culture. And that came out a little bit before that, before Stranger Things kind of took root and changed how, uh, I guess, what the popular fashion, everything is. Um, but, but I found the guest to be great. And uh, what I, uh, was the other movie he did? I saw I saw the guest a couple of days ago, actually. And yeah, there's some parts where you just... It doesn't hold yeah. up? Yeah, yeah. there's some bits where you're just like, ah... Like, uh, like uh, you, you put yourself in the, you know, this came out before, but it's still kind of cringe in some parts just because it, it feels very, you know, d- d- trying to be drive-ish, you know? And yeah. then because that whole, that whole character became a genre after that movie came out. So in points, the movie does kind of feel like he's trying to be that, that character, but... Yeah, I, did, I didn't really like it as much uh, as, as I did when it came out. Uh, he did uh, Your Next, and he did a couple of segments on VHS. Uh, and then... Uh, the Blair Witch beloved, movie. Our beloved Blair Witch. <laughs> um, <laughs> like the, then... the, the remake of Blair Witch? You get, yeah, you guys well, are, the remake, You guys are sequel. watching Blair Witch? Yeah, I, uh, I, I was in New York when the movie came out, and I had nothing to do in the afternoon. I went to a theater, and it was a tiny theater, and it was just me watching it. And I got dizzy five minutes in, and I just cold sweat throughout the whole movie <laughs> because I was like, I need to fucking finish this thing. And it was a piece of shit. But I, but it was, I, I guess it was more about the experience of me feeling like, you know, this is like a torture thing where I'm just sweating uh cold because i'm dizzy and i want to throw up I are you sure you didn't have like food poisoning or something from the the theater nachos or cold dizzy what no i didn't get <laughs> yeah, that no, from the movie at all it's a it's a witch's curse it's a, it's yeah, a very yes, it was the Blair film, Witch. Apparently. Oh no! Oh no! No no! But the the first person, like the POV, is horrendous. Like it, it moves way too much. So uh, yeah. within five minutes, I was already like, oh. And I've always oh. had this problem when uh, when I was younger, I couldn't play Golden Eye in '64 for longer than three minutes because I would want to throw up. Because you would have a seizure. Uh, so You'd this be was definitely writhing on the floor in front of your parents. Mm-hmm. Hey, on the on the topic of uh, found footage and POV, uh, Don, what did you think of Cloverfield? He's in the bathroom, dude. <laughs> he went to the bathroom? Yeah, it says I gotta take a bathroom break. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. All right. Well, Hans, what did you think of Cloverfield? <clears throat> Jesus, you wanna ask that Are you okay bro? right now? Are you getting dizzy? Are you getting cold sweats? No, I still have that fucking corona. So I'm fucking coughing. Oh. Uh I when Clover I, I liked it when it came out. Again, it's one of those one of those movies that um it was a, a product of its time, I guess. It was really early, at least from what I can remember, before that boom of POV uh, happened uh, when that movie came out. And I, I remember liking it. I don't remember getting dizzy, but I, I did watch it at home, so it's it's different. Watching it in a huge screen where there's only five rows of seat, yeah, I wanted to, to fucking die. But Cloverfield was all right. I haven't seen it since it came out, though. Yeah, that was a one of the better theatrical experiences I had. I, I I saw that in Boston at night when it first came out. I think it was probably like the last week it was showing. And I have watched it since, you know, and it, of course, doesn't really hold up as well, especially with the the special effects and the, um, mm. the CGI. And no, the acting is not particularly good, especially in retrospect. You can go with it on your first viewing because you're still immersed in the experience, but... Then it's yeah. like, uh, there's a reason why none of those actors had careers afterward, you know? 
Yeah. Well, is it the the only one that has a career now? Is T.J. Miller, who was not even in the movie, right? He's just the voice of the camera guy. Does he have a career? I mean, he was in that Kristen Stewart H.P. Lovecraft movie that came out recently. But I, I mean, he kind of killed he, his career as a color, car crash. Is, the, is Kristen Stewart in the Color Out of Space? No, uh, there's some backdoor H.P. Lovecraft movie. That's what. What is this movie about, Hans? You know more about it than I do. What movie? The one where she's in the sea or something, and then Cthulhu shows up at the last minute. Oh, oh, yeah. oh no! She's just like a deep sea diver or something, and there's a monster, and it's Cthulhu, and that's a spoiler. It's Jaws <laughs> um, Six. That's, I, that's yeah. That's all I know about the movie. It's supposed to be just like a scary monster undersea. Uh, movie that at the end is revealed that it's actually Cthulhu. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Yeah, that sounds uh, awful. <laughs> I don't want to see that. Especially with Kristen Stewart. That doesn't really give me much hope. It's yeah, not really known for yeah. I thought the Clouds of Sils Maria was okay. I mean, I, I haven't seen Twilight, so I don't have the like intense anti-Kristen Stewart thing. But like, man, I don't know what the 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 reveal at the end of the movie is that it's Cthulhu. Like that's it? No, not even that. It's like what? What is she looking for? Like uh, an endangered species of octopi? And then in like the last three minutes, Cthulhu just floats by the screen. That, yeah, that's that's ridiculous. Yeah, anyway, that's that's terrible. I I want to see yeah. the color out of space though. Like I, I I I give a lot of credit to Lovecraft movies, you know, especially the Stuart Gordon ones. I thought were really good. Stuart Gordon, yeah, he did Reanimator, right? Yeah, and Dagon and uh, Castle Freak. Oh, Castle and, Freak! Yeah, that was one of Castle the first Freak. one of the first horror movies I yeah. I ever saw was Castle Freak. They're remaking it. It's coming out in a couple of years, I think, from Cinestate and Fangoria. I mean, I I don't know. Look, I'll watch anything Fangoria produces. I think that's a magazine. That's a that's a brand with a lot of cachet in my mind. I was going to ask you before, and then Hans told me you you took a break to use the bathroom. Uh, what did you think of Cloverfield? Oh, Cloverfield. Um, okay, I really liked it when it came out because I thought that it was a really good in-cinema experience. Like, I thought that the point-of-view shots of, like, especially when they go up into the building and they look down on everything and it's all smashed up, I thought That's that great. was very effective. Uh, you watch it on home video and you realize, like, yeah, it's a shitty movie that works once in a theater. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of my opinion of it. Uh do you think that Cloverfield is the best American-made monster? Hmm. I mean, like, you want to get into best American, like, giant monster movies, like, you really got to go back to the 50s, I think. But... Wendy Williams? <laughs> <laughs> Wendy Williams. No? All right. <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> um, what? <coughs> I can't, can't even think of one. Oh, What's it's that? Like... That, colossal, that Colossal movie? That was a monster, right? Colossal? Colossal? Oh, the the with Anne Hathaway where she like yeah yeah I haven't seen that. Is that any good? I didn't see. That. I haven't seen it either. I think yeah. that monster's like in her head though. I don't think there's an actual monster. I think it's all like a like a like a weird metaphor for for bipolar disorder or something. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, it's 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 doing that thing. I mean, like there's there's a million giant monster movies in in, in America. I mean, obviously King Kong. Uh, Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, Nine Million Miles to Earth. Like these are all like stop motion movies from the from the fifties, early sixties. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and like I think probably my favorite of them is them. Uh, it's nineteen fifties like giant ant movie. Um, actually like really influential on Aliens. 
uh, like the little girl who's all traumatized that comes out of them. Uh, they did the, they do a really good buildup because that's the thing about monster movies. It's all about uh, the buildup and the pacing of the reveal of the monster. Right. And like, they just do a really excellent job in, in that picture, but you know, American monster movies, like here's my big objection to them. They always defeat the monster at the end. So it always ends up being a thing about how, like, even though there's these massive threats to, to human civilization, we've got it all under control, boys. Like that's the American monster movie message. And uh, I don't believe that this is an accurate message regarding how our civilization is able to respond to existential threats. So but, uh, barring some of the more recent Godzilla films where they've spun it as like, well, you know, I, I, I don't even know if this would necessarily apply in that case, since it's, the Americans or, or whoever using Godzilla to defeat a much more imminent threat. Uh, has there been a monster movie where you've had that giant monster or that outward force kind of just dominate the world and then that's it? The closest thing that I can think of is, and I don't even think this would really fit the criteria, would be that the, whatever the latest Jurassic Park movie was to come out. Oh, yeah. Where they where they are cloning the dinosaurs and the dinosaurs like take over the world. Yeah, I mean, I mean the George Romero zombie pictures, like the zombies conquer the world, first movie, and then they're just continually in control of it for the next two. I mean, I guess the next three, if you want to count Land of the Dead, Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, and then there was uh one more. There was one more that nobody likes to talk about. That yeah, nobody, yeah, that everybody's uh, embarrassed about. Diary? I, no, it's, no. It's, there's there's two diaries and those are embarrassing. But I think the one that you're talking about is uh, Island of the Dead, which I actually what? was at. I was at the American premiere of that movie. Um, I've never heard of this movie before. <laughs> it's it's basically a western with zombies in it, and it's like I mean I don't know. I have a little bit of affection for it because it is just like such a fucking weird movie. It has no reason to exist. It's like these two. It's like this Hat Hatfield and McCoy feud on this isolated island and there's this like zombie cowgirl who rides around the island randomly <laughs> and it's like oh my god it, it 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 just like i said it has no reason to exist aside from the fact that like this was at the end of george romero's career and he could get money to make anything as long as he put zombies in it uh right and so i guess he wanted to make a western but he was like i don't know there's zombies here give me some money give me the ten thousand dollars it's gonna take to shoot this thing and so I know, was I was almost with it up until you said zombie cowgirl. Otherwise, was that the last movie he wound up doing? I don't know. Uh, I I kind of want to say that it was, but I I don't want to allow myself to comprehend that fact. I I love George Romero. Um, well, I think he's a great dir- filmmaker. What do thing? It says that Survival of the Dead. What's his last one? Oh, that survival, survival of the Dead. Of the dead. Is, yeah. I think Survival of the Dead is what I'm thinking of. Is is yeah. Island of the Dead, is that an actual title, or am I confusing it? Yeah, Island of the Dead is like this Italian zombie movie. Yeah, okay, <laughs> so, no, no, what, I'm thinking what, about what, Survival. Yeah. Survival. Yeah, that's the one you, you're talking about. Yeah, it says on an island off the coast of North America, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, what is your favorite George Romero film? Oh, um, I guess... it's. I mean, that's, you know... It, it's probably going to change moment to moment. Uh, but I got a lot of affection for Martin. I know. Oh, that's kind yes. Of a, yes. Yeah, Martin's the best. I love Martin. I was hoping you would say that Martin yeah, is easily my, my favorite of any of his films. I mean, it's Dawn of the dead is also like, has a lot to recommend it. And in terms of like 
wild, like crazy, dangerous filmmaking. Like the fact that they were actually doing those stunts in a mall while it was closed, like when the mm-hmm. bikers invade at the end. I mean, that stuff is fucking great. Um, but Martin, to me, it's just like, it's, it works on a different level. You know, it's, it's the most personal, it's the most like, uh, intimate and it's like really scary. It's still scary today. You know, Martin, um, I love the it's, flashbacks it's, in Martin that kind of imply, uh, I, I, well, it, it, it implies like there's an alternate history or, or maybe he goes so far back that, and it, and it doesn't leave you with any firmly concretely answered questions about whether or not Martin is a vampire or just mentally ill or is or whether he's being gaslit by his his cousin who's like 50 years older than him that movie's just so perfect as a horror film and just as a movie in general yeah i agree i mean i i think it's just like it's it's an uncomfortable movie like it makes you uncomfortable to watch it um especially mm-hmm. the family dynamics in martin you know it's like the the whole thing with the cousin that you're talking about it's like it's yeah, it's very intense. I I love Martin. Um, Creepshow also very good. Um, I uh, I'm not very familiar with his early movies, and I'm just reading about uh, Night Riders. Oh yeah, I'm not familiar with that. yeah. <laughs> what the fuck it, is this? It's a <laughs> it's... post-apocalyptic bike jousting. It's a great film. <laughs> you know. <laughs> It just says Ed Harris rages himself away from his group of diehard Renfair motorcycle jousters, spiraling yeah. into madness caused by inner circle quarreling, party crashers, and the quintessential redneck cop from Bakersfield that looks like a pig trying to shake him down. Battles, travels, and troubles abound in this obscure George Romero classic. That sounds awesome, and I never heard of this fucking movie. No, I've never heard of it either. Yeah, it's a that's a great movie. Uh, Monkey Shines also for the like lesser known George Romero flicks. Um, I, I fucking love George Romero, man. I, I think, you know, and he's another, we we're talking about house. Uh, he's another director who came out of, uh, commercials. Um, obviously very different stylistically than, uh, it's Obayashi did house, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's, a, uh, you know, it's apparently a good place to start if you want to become some kind of weird outsider filmmaker. George Romero had, I think there was a, an unreleased film that he had done back in the 70s. It might have been his first film or, or his second film that was never finished. And they released it either this year or last year. And I'm trying to remember the name of that. Do you Shit. guys know anything about it? I, I don't. That sounds awesome, though. I would, I would really love to see that. Yeah. Um, speaking I, of, I, of unfinished movies, you know... Uh, we were talking about the Italian overdubbing earlier, right? You know who tried to do that in the United States uh, was Orson Welles because he came out of radio. So right after Citizen Kane, when he was doing Magnificent Ambersons, he was trying to get all of his actors to lip sync to a already done audio track and that they rioted. They, they hated it. Um, but uh, Orson Welles, you know, his other side of the wind was just finished by Peter Bogdanovich. They put it out on Netflix, and I thought, mm-hmm. thought that was a real good, uh, real good thing there. Uh, it, you know, it kind of the documentary it warms the is great. Of your heart, yeah. Oh, the, the yeah. documentary, the "They'll Love Me When I'm Dead." Yes, I watched I, both. I, I thought that the documentary was uh, superior to the film, but the film was very enjoyable in its own right. Also, I, I just found out the uh, the name of that George Romero film. It did come out. This year, it's called The Amusement Park. The Amusement Park. Well, I'll have to put that on my list. That's a good recommendation. Thank you very much. Uh, Just to circle back, since we spent so much time talking about Godzilla and Japanese monster movies, and I guess the difference between them and 
westernized ones. I think we should probably give Hauzu and Obayashi its due by maybe talking Absolutely. about that for more than ten minutes. Um, I well, I, I saw it yesterday, and I and I honestly didn't remember the soundtrack being as good. Oh, the soundtrack this. is the best. It's so good. It it drives the movie really well, and it just adds an extra layer of this fever dream that this movie feels like. Uh, because it, it's it, it doesn't have the structure of I mean I guess it kind of has a structure of a regular movie but it's just crazy from beginning to end and if you miss a little bit of it, it like it, it's one of those movies where you have to sit and actually watch everything just to to grasp all the craziness they're throwing at you on the screen uh, but I I was actually looking for places to see if I could buy that soundtrack because I enjoyed listening to just the music so much besides, you know, the, the, the visuals. Yeah. That, that's a movie yeah. that's really firing on all cylinders creatively where they're just taking very different approaches to filmmaking and what that meant, I guess in 1977 and to have that kind of like poppy. I don't, I don't know if the band is American or if they're English, uh, but they handled the soundtrack, and it's very enjoyable to listen to, And just to echo what you said. I wish I had more to say about House. I mean, it's honestly been a couple of years since I saw it. Uh, I did get to see it in a theater, which was, was cool, um, because they did a premiere of it uh, here at the Alamo Drafthouse in, in Austin before I, I left for New York. Very and nice. uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hell of a fucking experience. And I love that the special effects are sort of purposely designed to look unrealistic, that it's like a... Uh, it's more about creating an aesthetic than it is about convincing you that what's happening is real, which is something that you see in Japanese special effects in general. And I think it's just like, you know, there's nothing like it in terms of the pacing and the, and the, the editing, uh, because it does have that influence from commercials where like every individual see, like it's almost these like micro bursts of like super bizarre imagery. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a it's a beautiful film. I went to go see this when it was uh, playing at a, re- a revival theater in Boston called the Brattle, and they had an original thirty-five millimeter print. And I remember it was all damaged; it was all messed up. It wound up stopping like halfway through the movie, and we had to sit in the theater for an hour <laughs> as they as they repaired oh, that and oh, got it rolling again. Uh, that's terrible. Yeah, this yeah, movie the, was uh, released. It was it was what, a double feature actually... with a romance film. Really? Originally, what? yeah. Oh, when, when it was released, it was a double mm-hmm. feature. Uh, pure Hearts I, and Mud. I haven't uh, heard anything about that. I think my favorite thing about this movie, and that's something you don't really see that much nowadays unless you're talking about very independent uh, movies like uh, something like The Greasy Strangler or something like that. <laughs> but there's something about this movie that, that uh, I really like is that the, it feels like they're just saying, you know, if you think this is crazy or if you think you or if you don't like this, fuck you. We don't care. We're just going to show you whatever crazy shit we want to show you and hopefully you'll enjoy it, but if not, then we don't really care about who this is for or at least that's how it feels like to me because uh it's very much a, a product of the person that made it and I guess that's why there's not really anything else like it uh up until now or at least that I know uh of uh because the the most directors don't really have that liberty of being able to just do whatever the fuck they want, and I know nothing about the director for this movie, so I'm just uh, assuming that that's what he did because of what's shown on screen. Um, nothing makes sense, or a lot of the things that they show you don't make any sense, but they work just because they're in this fucking universe that he's created. Where you know, if you think something's ridiculous, fuck it. This is just the world that's in, and 
I don't know if if uh, a director has the power or any studio will trust a director with a vision like that to make a movie like that nowadays that will be you know released widely uh, instead of just being you know an independent movie that no one's watching. I think it would depend on the studio. I don't think you'll ever see that with a major studio like Warner Brothers or, or obviously Disney is completely risk averse in in every capacity. But if you take a look at one of the smaller studios like. Uh, you know, we've talked about Cine State a ton. And uh, what, what is Elijah Wood's company? Spectre Vision. They put out Mandy. So I don't I don't think it's impossible for a movie like this or, or something as explorative uh, as House to be made in this day and age and also get like a theatrical release. It would probably have to primarily make mm. its money back on streaming. But yeah, I, I think it's probably streaming is the is the future for films like this. I mean, and, yeah, and what you're talking about, it's like House is the exact antithesis of like the big budget hyper bland film in that it is mm-hmm. just this like it doesn't give a fuck if you don't like it it's doing its thing you know it's it's yeah yeah i mean the the only couple is in the movie is the parents that we barely see so there's not even like you know the love angle that you always need to have so that people can relate to it there's not a couple there's nothing like that it's just craziness it's just hey welcome to this world that we created and just sit down and enjoy all the craziness we're gonna throw at your face and that's very refreshing uh, on the you know sanitized times that we're currently living in. Yeah, and and it's movie, also movie like, voice. yeah, I mean the the it's also like it's very un uh, it's uh like like it's about creating an experience. It's about creating a, a particular like weird aesthetic, and it's about surprising the audience continually. And it's just got that like crazy pace to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like I, I really can't think of anything that is like a good direct comparison to that. Like I said, with the exception of like maybe Godzilla versus the Smog Monster or like Branded to Kill that Seijin Suzuki made in the in the sixties. Like, you know, and it, and it should be said that like Toho was, you know, like we were saying at the beginning, it was the Disney of its day, the Japanese Disney of its day. But even within that, like there there was a tremendous amount of latitude apparently because like you know a bunch of of weird autori movies came out of the japanese film industry in the middle of the 20th century and and continue to come out now so like you know outside of that huge corporate structure i think that there is like there's always going to be an opportunity to make something like totally unique and visually inventive uh i just you know i really don't think it's going to be in the in the theaters going forward no and and we have talked about it tons of times in the past but the reality is that i do think in order to get at least like a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like, just a more enriching experience with film. You're going to have to start looking towards those smaller distributors uh, that aren't as afraid to, or maybe identify the fact that there is money to be made in niche markets instead of just making a totally benign product that is accessible to everybody. Uh, As far as Obayashi and House goes, I haven't been able to come up with a good one-to-one comparison of maybe a, a filmmaker or a movie that echoes the the similarities visually of this film. But um, I, I was thinking that, have you guys seen the illustrations of uh, Junji Ito? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of feel like there might be something to his style that feels similar, like a cousin to many of the visual aspects of this movie. And then I think an obvious one, I think... You would mention the Greasy Strangler earlier, but really, if you go take a look at earlier Tim and Eric, 
that has also okay. just like this similar aesthetic vibe to a lot of house in the the green screening chroma key components and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But you know, you don't really see a, a good direct thing where there's another film that has this kind of essence to it. Yeah. It's a, it's a very unique picture. Um, and you know, it's the, the tragedy of all this is that it's like, you know, house is fun to watch on, uh, on home video, but it really is like, it's elevated by being a theater experience. You know, the Definitely. soundtrack is amazing. You're surrounded with the, with the sound. Um, the visuals are so overpowering. It's like, it is one of the best theatrical experiences I've ever had in my, in my life watching this movie. And the fact that the theater experience for me has become so like onerous and boring and aggravating. It's like a real tragedy because there is something that you lose when you're, you know, like as much as I love home video, you know, and, and, you know, I have a decent sized TV now that I inherited and then, you know, I like watching shit on the Blu-ray but uh, you do lose something when you're not having that, you know, communal, total sensory deprivation experience of the theater. And it, it is a little sad thinking about uh, a, a new house, if it were to come out, being relegated to streaming, being something that you would, you know, basically only watch on a television or a screen. Um, I think that's a little depressing. Is there anything else we can really say about this movie or Obayashi as a filmmaker? I'm very familiar with his other work, to be honest. Well, I mean, he he just kind of toys with like the same tools with his '80s films. There's one particular one called the, uh, I think. It, well, it has multiple titles due to you know translations and being rough. And I think they're just. I, I, I actually that reminded me about uh, Sword of Doom is not the actual Japanese title to that movie. It's something like whatever the lead title it's character's da- journey. Or so, yeah. No, it's Daibusotsu Toge. It's the the Great Buddha Pass. Yeah. It's the same same title as the novel. So there was a there was a movie I think released in 1981 called The Little Girl Who Conquered Time. And it's wow. basically about this this girl who goes back and forth in time and does I, you know something weird about Obayashi's filmography in general too is he has a lot of body swap films. A lot of body swap. I mean he re, I think he might have remade the same manga twice. And there's an emphasis on like Checking out your boobs for the first time quite a bit, <laughs> many times throughout. He's, he's big on that stuff. I don't know. And um, the little girl who conquered time has similar aspects to the flashback sequences in house. Uh, but on the whole, it's a pretty straightforward movie. Like I said before, drifting classroom is probably the closest example of a spiritual sequel to this movie where there are so many elements that carry over into that and it's very hard to find like a good high definition copy of really any of his films. But there is a bootleg vendor on Instagram that I go to who sold me five of his movies on on one Blu-ray disc. Uh, and his name is escaping me at the moment. But I, I would definitely check out Drifting Classroom if House is, uh, you know, of your taste or, or preference. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to see it. I, I haven't seen any other Obayashi films. So, you know, it's, it's, you're, you guys are giving me some good homework. Uh, on this podcast and he's still working he's like 90 years old and i believe he had a movie come out this past year but i mean isn't who knows what the quality of that is isn't obayashi the hot dog guy the hot dog guy yeah the guy that eats hot dogs a lot of them and he's little asian man that eats hot dogs yes every obayashi is the same the little known fact about japan yeah <laughs> that's what i wanted to get through <laughs> That was, that was my closing comment. <laughs> That's great. Um, 
I mean, we should probably just put a pin in the show there, I think. <laughs> okay. okay, I I just got it. I just got it. Yeah. There was a there was a time time delayed thing there. <laughs> all right. Uh that has been movies for this episode. It seemed a little over the all over the map, kind of scattershot, but that's okay. That's what people seem to like nowadays. Uh Don Jolly, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And you know, I'm looking forward to the next uh comfort systems, you know. Fucking keep keep up the good work, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, do you want to give any links or, or quick plugs or anything before we sound off for good? Uh, yeah, just check out encyclopedia.zone and uh, keep an eye on that for more literary shit posting. Got a big piece about the uh, Iowa caucuses coming up. So everybody's excited to read more about that, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm just wondering. So this whole literary uh, world thing that you dip your fingers into, are you familiar with the Bizarro authors? No, I'm not. Uh, tell me about the Bizarro authors. Oh, oh no, geez. it's just you know, it's <laughs> um, it's a, <laughs> just a group of you know uh, authors that make these books about um, spaceships that have tits and uh, shoot cum out of them uh, and and their political statements. It's like that movie you watch, Zombie Ass or Toilet Girl. What was yeah, that yeah, movie? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Zombie Ass. Um, zombie Ass. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, if you if you're in that literally world, you should you know give it a little Google to like Bizarro authors and Bizarro books. I think you might be uh, interested no. in some of that. Yeah, hell yeah. Is, is this is this the subgenre where the guy wrote the whole novella about all the different William Shatners? There's like one million yes. William Shatners. Is it? Uh, I'm enemies with that guy actually. Hans is too. He hates us. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's him. That's that's okay, that's right Jeff Burke. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, people people have people have uh, proselytized for the the Shatner novella to me multiple times. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to digging into the bizarre offers. Thank you very much, uh, authors. Thank you very much, Hans. Yeah, well, that's a, that's another sale in his pocket, Hans. Way to go. Uh, all right, that that's been the show for this week. Again, Don Jolly, thank you for coming on. It was a it was a great discussion, and maybe if you're free sometime in the future, George Romero episode. Who knows? Oh, yeah. I would I would love to do that. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to do one of those fucking uh, obscure obscure. I say obscure because I'm in, ignorant about it. But the other movies that most people don't talk about, it'll be fun to make one of those. What like amusement uh, amusement park? Yeah, sure. Why not? Or I mean, the look, Joust uh, movie. Yeah, I, I, see, I, I really want to see that Joust movie. I think, I think we should watch Night Riders. Is, is my opinion. Yeah. Oh hell yeah, I'm down for that. All right, all right. That, that's the end of the show. I got food arriving right now, so I gotta hop off this. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Have a great night, guys. Thanks again, man. That was great. <laughs>